This is a Dalina University production. Dobre vreme sútok. Mia nomo estas Konstantin, že viem do la Rusi, aby za zvaj un halpiaren vonej in Šveden. Dove facil insignianta d'inglese de la linguistica vid högskol in Dalina. Jag bor i Falun med min sambo och vi hade också en katt med en hund dog för två veckor sedan, stackare. All of which is to say that uh, my name is Konstantin and uh, I'm a Russian teaching English and linguistics at Dalarna University in what the locals say is the heart of Sweden. I've been a language teacher for 11 years and uh, I studied English and German for my bachelor's degree in St. Petersburg. But since then I've taught myself Swedish, Italian and Esperanto and Quite recently, I finally realized that I could no longer get away with not knowing French, so right now I'm trying to get started on French as well. Well, as polyglots go, I'm really nothing special. There are people out there who are breathtakingly fluent in a dozen languages or perhaps even more, and those people might be true linguistic geniuses for all I know, but well, I really wouldn't know because I'm not one of them, I'm nothing of the kind. I'm just a regular guy, but um, thanks to experience, I suppose, and a certain amount of study, I've learned to realize, I've come to realize um, a few things about language learning, and I've come to develop a few useful habits. And that's what I will be talking about today. And for the most part, I will be stating the obvious, at least obvious to those who have ever learned a foreign language as adults. And I guess I might as well start with something that should be blindingly obvious to just about everyone. When it comes to learning foreign languages, there's some good news and there's some bad news. Now, the bad news is there's no magic way to learn a foreign language quickly and effortlessly, unfortunately. Now, children do pick up languages as they go, but children have much better memories and... Uh, even more importantly, they have all the time in the world to, well, to learn languages, to put it quite simply. And they're not afraid of losing face. Now, I'm sorry to tell you we're not like that at all. Our memory leaves a lot to be desired. It's not like a sponge anymore. We have full-time jobs and uh, we have social obligations and we have children. And, uh, well, we, are, we tend to be, at least, we tend to be um, horrified, we, ha we tend to be afraid of losing face, of making stuttering fools of ourselves. Now, that is why we have to find time for language learning. We have to make an effort. And uh, that's the bad news. The good news, however, is that if you do find some time, if you make a little effort, you can learn a language. Anyone can learn a language, in fact. Anyone can learn a foreign language. No one is crap at languages, I can say. We're all in the same boat. And I'm surrounded by living proofs of that, all the time. Not just at work. Why do then so many people seem to view language learning as, a, as an awe-inspiring feat that they can never hope to perform? Well, one major reason for that is that we tend to have somewhat unreasonable expectations of knowing a language. It's not quite clear what we really mean by knowing a language. And it seems to me that surprisingly many people, uh, 
believe that you haven't really learned a language unless you're perfectly fluent in it. And that seems to be a bit unreasonable to me. Well, for example, I can, I can use myself as an example. Now, my Italian is extremely far from being perfectly fluent, but when I go to Italy or when I feel like watching an Italian movie, I find my Italian, well, the Italian that I know, quite useful. And that's why, even though my Italian is not perfect, I do not really think that I have failed in learning it. To illustrate this idea a bit further, let me tell you about the seven stages of um, knowing a language as I see them, or as I identified them uh, yesterday as I was preparing this presentation. I must warn you, though, uh, the whole thing is a, it's a bit cheesy and it's horribly oversimplified, uh, but I hope that it will do the job for now, at least. Okay, let us assume that you have been learning French, and you're in Paris right now, and you have a French friend, and you go to a restaurant, the two of you, together. Now, stage one. If you're at stage one of knowing French, knowing quote-unquote, what you can do is you can read the menu. You can open the menu, you can read it, and you can understand most of it. In other words, given a little time, you can understand something that is written in French. And that's exactly the stage that my French is at right now. Uh, this doesn't have to be limited to menus, of course. It can also extend to books and sometimes even newspapers. But the main idea is that it doesn't really go beyond understanding or passively understanding written text. What happens at stage two is that you can actually order a meal in French. And you can then ask, well, the waiter for an explanation for a piece of advice about a particular item on the menu, for example. Uh, in other words, you can uh, communicate some essential information by using standard speech formulas. And uh, yeah, and that's already something. What can I say? Then at stage three, something amazing happens. You actually understand the waiter's advice when it's given to you. In other words, you understand spoken language when it's directed at you, and we're, we assume here that the waiter is sufficiently friendly and that he can see that you're a foreigner while trying, trying to speak French to the best of your capacity. And that's already something as well. Then, at stage four, when your friend uh, starts chatting with the waiter, you can actually understand what the chatting is about. You can follow their conversation. In other words, you understand relatively, or fairly, I can say, casual spoken language, even when it's not addressed directly to you. And this can also be extended to watching movies, for example, most movies anyway, and uh, watching television shows. Then, at stage five, you can actually chat with the waiter yourself. In other words, you can speak spontaneously without too much hesitation, and uh, well, that's what many people understand by fluency. But it doesn't really stop there. On the right side, we have some more advanced stuff. Stage six, then. You have been served your food and your wine, and you proceed to well, argue politics, philosophy, and, uh, and let's say the Eurovision results with your friend for about two hours. In French, of course. In other words, you can carry a sophisticated conversation on a variety of topics, you have enough vocabulary for that. And finally, 
at the last stage, at stage 7, you can do all of the above without making errors. And I would like you to note here that grammatical errors, making grammatical errors and word choice errors is perfectly okay. Well, actually it's unavoidable at any of the earlier stages. And I would also like you to note that whichever stage you have managed to reach so far, now your language skills can actually come in handy. They can be useful, in, even if it's just for reading the menu. Well, the next question is, how do you reach any of these stages? Well, like I said, there's no magic recipe, but I do have three general tips that I think are essential. I also have some more specific advice for you, and I have one major revelation, which will come at the very end of this uh, presentation. Now, essential tip number one. Do not try or do not even expect to be able to reach all seven stages at once. Chances are you'll feel frustrated very soon and you'll give up and uh, that'll be tragic, of course. So, like elsewhere in life, I suppose, it's, it's important to set goals for yourself that are slightly unrealistic but not too unrealistic. Essential tip number two. Well, they say that when it comes to language learning, it's better to study for 20 minutes every day than for two hours once a week. And that is absolutely true, except I would add that it's actually even better to do both, and it's better still to study for 20 minutes several times a day, every day. In other words, you need to study, you need to do a little language learning whenever you can. Whenever you have a choice, let's say, between working on your Japanese for 20 minutes and doing something else, you should always go for Japanese. Well, do 20 minutes of Japanese and then do the other thing. Okay, whether it's 20 minutes or two hours, the next question is, what exactly do you do during this time? How, for example, can you work on your accent, on your pronunciation? Uh, well, the first thing I should mention is that no matter how you work on it, if you're an adult, you'll probably never sound like a native. But you can definitely make your accent less foreign. You can make it easier on natives' ears, so to say. How do you achieve that? Well, of course, it's different for different people. But um, one thing that is probably true for everyone is that listening alone is not enough. In addition to listening, which is important, of course, you also have to repeat what you hear. Not just repeat, you have to imitate it, you have to ape it as much as you can. You have to do it thoroughly, sound by sound, word by word, phrase by phrase, sentence by sentence, eventually. As many times as you can, as many times as you have time for. Uh, well, you, why do you have to do that? Well, you have to do that because you have to make your mouth and uh, your tongue and your brain, ultimately, you have to make them get used to these foreign, these alien sound combinations. That's really important. Now, repetition and imitation and aping, all of that is uh, really important, but there's a little snag. The problem is when you listen to a language you don't really know very well, your brain doesn't really hear at least a half of what is actually being said. 
pronunciation-wise. You have to teach your brain to hear things right, as it were. And that's why it's usually a good idea to read about the sounds of the language that you're learning before you start imitating them, or read about them while you're imitating them, in the process, as it were. Well, not actually as you speak, of course. Uh, it's important because, well, of course, there are other languages have sounds that you have never dreamed of, for one thing, and then even those languages that, um, sorry, even those sounds that may sound familiar to you, well, they may turn out to be quite different in some important way. And this distinction may amount to the difference between uh, mother and uh, foul language, for example, or something like that. And finally, when you do all this uh, aping and imitating and uh, all this tongue twisting, it will feel strained and uh, unnatural and you will feel silly. And that's a really good sign. So if, if your mouth literally balks at it, it's a really good sign. Because if it doesn't feel silly, if it doesn't feel unnatural, if it doesn't feel strained at first, you're probably not doing it right. And you should probably try harder. Next, how do you study grammar? Well, some people might tell you that they can manage just fine without knowing any grammar, for example, in English. Now, unfortunately, they don't know what they're talking about. Grammar, put simply, is uh, about how you put words and sentences together, and uh, you have to know at least something about that if you want to understand other people and if you want to be understood. Now, if you didn't grow up with the language, you have to learn that. You have to learn grammar by learning rules, grammar rules, however scary that might sound at first. If you want to make that task easier for yourself, it's a good idea to get familiar with some basic concepts, with uh, a few, uh, let's say, general principles of how languages work, some basic terminology that is used in uh, grammatical descriptions. And there are a couple of ways to do that. Now, one way is by getting hold of a, well, of a nice introduction to linguistics. You can say something that is, um, well, very light and uh, very engaging. And there are plenty of books like that on, uh, on Amazon and, uh, and elsewhere. You just need to shop around a little. Now, another way, and uh, here comes a shameless plug for Esperanto, is by trying to learn a simple artificial language like Esperanto first, as a trial run, so to say. Now, Esperanto is delightfully, it's ridiculously simple, and uh, it will give you a very nice hands-on experience of things like adjectives and um, nouns and direct objects and verb tenses and agreement and stuff like that. And you will never have to worry about your um, accent, for example, or even your progress. Now, it is a truth universally acknowledged, as they say, that a third language is always easier to learn than a second one, and uh, if you well, if your warm-up act is Esperanto, so to say, then, well, yeah, it will go really smoothly. I can guarantee you that, pretty much. And as an extra bonus, of course, you, uh, you'll be able to befriend any number of Esperanto-speaking nerds like myself. Next, once you know the basic concepts, uh, you'll have an easier time understanding rules, 
once you understand the rules, it's really important to watch out for them. Well, at least sometimes when you're reading a text or when you're listening to the language you're learning, uh, try to pay attention not to, well, not to what is being said, not as much at least, but also to how it's being said, grammar-wise. It's really important. And likewise, when you learn a grammar rule, you need to make a point of actually using it the next time you speak or write the language. Finally, it usually pays to compare the way things work in the language you're learning and the way they work in English or your first language, for example. Now, it's, it's good to be aware of how similar, how different the languages are, because just like in pronunciation, a lot of bad grammar is uh, caused by unwitting interference from your first language or from English. It's caused by your grammar instincts that, are, well, that belong, let's say, to a different language. And, uh, well, this point actually provides us with a nice little bridge to my first tip about learning vocabulary, which is don't learn words naked. What does that mean? Now, that means that words never exist in isolation. They never exist alone, so to say. They always interact with each other. Let me give you an example of that. Let's say you're Italian and uh, you're learning English and you want, you want to learn the English word love. Okay. Now, let's say the meaning of uh, love is in many ways similar to what you know as amore, but there's a lot more to love than that, than just that similarity, I have to tell you. Consider this sentence. I fell in love with you. Now, you can see the word love in there, and uh, it still means what it usually does, but you can see that in this sentence it is part of a very complex relationship, with uh, three other words, and uh, namely for, in, and with. And this relationship is as permanent as it gets. And uh, you'd better, well, learn about it before it's too late to save yourself some trouble later. Now, if you're an English-speaking person, learning Italian, for example, something else happens. You want to express the same idea. You want to say, I fell in love with you in Italian. And, uh, well, if you try hard enough, if you use a dictionary, you will find out that uh, the word amore will not actually be of much use to you because you don't use it for that purpose. You have to learn a different word. You have to learn the word innamorarsi. And uh, not only that, you have, of course, to know how to make it fit the sentence. And you have to know that the word innamorarsi teams up with uh, this little word di. Mi sono innamorato di te, in Italian, to express this idea. So, you can see that languages do different things. Well, sometimes they do the same thing in very different ways. And that's why it's really important to be aware of differences and similarities between languages. Uh, where do you find this information, by the way? Well, any good dictionary will have this information. And, uh, yeah, you find it there. And talking of good dictionaries, um, a good dictionary will also list uh, a lot of meanings for common words, for example. And uh, the next trick is to ignore most of those meanings, at least 
uh, at first, initially. You need to ignore most of them and only focus on the ones that are important. As a rule, the important meanings will be listed first, but uh, it's always a good idea to check, of course. Then, besides a dictionary, a good place to see how words work is the Internet. Uh, uh, what I do myself when, quite often when I learn a new word, I Google the word. I Google it uh, uh, on its own first and then perhaps in, in some of its uh, different forms, if there are different forms. And uh, I can also Google it with uh, some of those little words that it uh, has a relationship with, as it were. And uh, then I can just see how the word works. I can see how it's used in sentences, how it's used by people. And that's, uh, well, that's something that is really useful. Next. Just like with grammar rules, uh, when you have learned a new word, you need to go out of your way to actually use the word, perhaps even overuse it at first. And you need to do that because you have to convince your brain that this word is actually worth remembering. Because your brain is like that, your brain will do its best to forget as much as it can, as quickly as it can. So you have to keep reminding your brain that, uh, well, these words are important. I want you to remember them. How do you do that? Uh, well, well, besides actually using those words, you can also read as much as possible and listen to as much uh, of the language as possible and uh, then note these new words as you come across them. That's really helpful and it's really, uh, it works especially well for common words. Uh, when it comes to less common words, one trick that I find useful I'm especially fond of this trick myself, is uh, uh, using the uh, reminder function on your mobile phone. Now what you do is you just um, you take this new word, you enter its translation first, then you enter the word itself, um, preferably with, uh, with some other words around it in a sentence, and perhaps with some grammatical information. And um, it's really important to make sure that uh, when the reminder goes off, you don't see the word right away because you need to make a mental effort to remember it. So, well, when it does go off, you, well, you remember the word and then you renew the reminder and uh, you do it again and again with uh, increasing intervals, so to say. Let's say one day the first time, then three days, then a week perhaps, then a month, something like that. Yeah, and uh, you continue in the same vein until you have convinced your brain that, uh, well, this word is actually worth remembering. And uh, it does work. Um, now, my phone is uh, it's pretty basic, uh, and it can only do a few dozen reminders at a time, but of course more advanced gizmos have, have more, and uh, things like iPhones and uh, such, they have special applications for vocabulary learning, actually. And it's a good idea to use those as well. Now, at this point you may be thinking, okay, pronunciation, vocab, grammar, it's all very well and it's all very good, but um, what about those seven stages? How do I actually learn to do stuff in a language? Well, I'm afraid I only have one answer to that. You learn to do stuff in a language by actually doing it. This is the only thing I can say. You learn to read menus by reading menus. 
you learn to order a meal by trying to use that funny phrase from your textbook to order a meal. You learn to understand movies by actually watching movies, first with uh, English subtitles, let's say, or subtitles in your first language, and, and then with uh, um, subtitles in the language you're learning, and then without any subtitles at all. And you learn to chat with people by actually trying to chat with them in the language you're learning. And yes, I know, it will feel awkward and perhaps even humiliating at first. I, I know the feeling very well and I used to be plagued by it myself. But here comes the great revelation. The great revelation is that if you're doing your best, as long as you're doing your best, you never lose face by trying to say something in another language. Well, quite the contrary. You really should be proud of every little attempt you make to say something in another language. And if someone makes fun of you, if someone is stupid enough to make fun of you, well, you can just tell them to go practice uh, uh, some palatalized Russian consonants, for example, or Mandarin tones, or something like that. Now, if everything I've already said sounds like work, that's because it is. Again and again and again and again, you have to spend some time and you have to make an effort to learn a language. At the same time, this effort can be really exciting and uh, extremely rewarding, provided you follow my last essential tip. So essential tip number three. It's really hard to learn a language for a rainy day. It's really hard to learn a language just because, let's say, it sounds cool, or because uh, it's cool to be able to speak a foreign language, or because it looks good on your CV, or it will, look good. it will look good at your CV at some point in the future. To To have enough motivation, to work up enough motivation, well, first to get started and then to keep going, sort of persisting with the language, you have to have a real reason for learning it. Now, any reason will do, any real reason will do. It can be work, it can be research, romance, and it can be another fascination for another culture, for example. But uh, mind you, the fascination has to be utter. Uh, but you have to find a reason to get started and to keep going. And uh, if you have that reason, I can only wish you the best of luck. Thank you.